You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! Good evening, good evening, good evening, everybody. And this is The Dice Men Cometh on not Edge Radio 99.3 FM, but coming straight to your podcast feed. It is episode 303 as I am sitting in my lovely office in my lovely house. And I am joined, as I always, on the other side of the town, I was going to say state because that's not true, uh, by Mr. Garth. Hello, Leon. How are we doing on this fine, isolated day? We are doing very well and very isolated. I've got my whiskey, you've got your beer, so it's almost like nothing has changed. Now, Mr. Markington is taking a few episodes off because he's just started the new job and what with this whole quarantine madness, we want to leave him to any stresses out of the way. And you know, we are stresses at the best of time, aren't we? Absolutely. And it is probably past his bedtime because I can see the moon outside. Yes, that is very, very true. So we're going to have probably a few special guests from time to time over the next few weeks, and we will see how that will go. So, Garthy boy, what are we actually doing on tonight's show? Well, tonight's going to be a little bit different, Leon, because you might have known it's a bit tricky to play games around a table at the moment. Yeah. So you, yes, you are going to talk about some online role-playing that you're actually allowed to talk about in a family show. Is that right? Yes, the other stuff's going to have a completely other podcast. I need to talk about that. <laughs> but then we've also got the first in our line of special guests, and we are starting off with a cracker. One Matthew Lee, the head honcho and super sleuth behind the Campaigner magazine. So he's going to jump on and tell us everything there is to know about how to be a board game magazine Terry Packer, I guess. Yeah, sure, why not? And show us how it's... um. Show us how it's meant to be in this world of professional reporting. Obviously, he's not just sitting there silently, patiently waiting for us to intro him so we can start speaking. We haven't added him to the call yet. So did you want to slag him off a little bit first, Garth, before we bring him in? Or should we just... Well, like us who have a good face for radio, he certainly has a good face for print media. Okie dokie. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump to a little break, as we always tend to, because we want to keep the same kind of feel of the show. But before we do that, Garth, I have to ask you a question because... Remember this? Remember no, the book? Yes, I do. I really do, but I don't want to have to remember it. All right, I've I'm, got I'm ready. my Richard Herring's emergency questions because, as I said, we're going to make sure the banter stays alive on this show, as well as we're in an emergency state right now. You should remember that, Garth. So I'll ask you, and then I might ask Matt when we come back after the break. So Sounds good. This is important. Parsley, sage, rosemary, thyme, or basil? Oregano. Or coriander, ideally. I mean, coriander, that don't even... I'll kick you off this Zoom call right now. That's not an (laughs) option. And we didn't say anything about oregano. No, I know. Uh, But I did... I was actually in the garden not too long ago making a bouquet garni with oregano and sage for some stew. But look, out of those ones, it would have to be basil because Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of pesto, Leon. What about you? Yeah. I mean, this day and age, it's hard to go past basil. However, I am still to this day a massive fan of the rosemary. A bit of rosemary lamb is very hard to beat in my eyes. And, of course, all this has not a jot to do with board games, card games, or role-playing games, which we're here to talk about, sponsored by our good friends at LFG. So we're going to take a little break after that stupid little shenanigans, and we will be right (laughs) back with Matt Lee from The Campaigner and how he's been going during all this craziness. Hello, hello, Ignacy Cevicek, Portal Games, and you're listening to The Dice Man Comet. Have a great time. Uh, because this is just a podcast, that was no one with nothing. You're with The Dice Man Cometh, and yes, it is episode 333, just 303, I think. I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, Leon, you ended last break with such a, uh, an insightful emergency question that I couldn't answer it by myself. I've got to ring in a special guest. Uh, so we have added one young Matthew Lee to this particular Zoom episode of The Dice Men Cometh. Matthew is the head honcho, the editor, reporter. Um, he probably put licks the stamps on the envelopes that the magazines go into before they get posted out. I believe it says Grand Poobah on the business card. Wow. Of the Campaigner magazine, which is Australia's and probably, again, the Southern Hemisphere's most famous and successful board gaming publication. So, Matthew, welcome to The Dice Men Cometh. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. 
Well, we haven't had you yet, but it's still good to have you, mate. Well, you know, I just, I'm just hoping that I can, you know, preempt the successful episode. Uh, <laughs> you know, thinking positively is how we're going to do this. Oh, many have tried. <laughs> well, look, thanks so much for making the effort from uh, calling in. It doesn't look like you're quite in your jammies, but, um, you know, the joy of recording from home is that you can wear whatever you want and we won't judge. <laughs> so, look, for those of you uh, listeners who don't know what the Campaigner magazine is and who Matthew Lee is, first of all, shame on you. But, but Matthew, do you want to give us your, you know, 30-second Campaigner story? Uh, sure. So, Campaign... Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I can actually say the name of the magazine, believe it or not. Uh, the Campaigner magazine is a tabletop, uh, I like to call it a tabletop lifestyle magazine. So it's about, uh, we don't really do news or previews in the actual publication itself. We'll do some of that online. You call it a lifestyle magazine so you can sell it to doctor's offices? Is that the main reason? <laughs> Funny you should say that. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, actually. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that, that is part of it. That is part of the, the ongoing uh, uh, clientele that has started to emerge. Uncovering mysteries every week. I love it. Yeah, there are a couple of doctor's surgeries that uh, subscribe to it. and uh, They are one of the places we're focusing on as in uh, building the subscriber base. Uh, so. Yeah, I'll, next time I, I'm looking to you know broaden the market, I'll uh, I'll talk to you, Leon, because <laughs> obviously you've got a head for publishing. I happen to know a certain uh, chocolate factory break room that has quite a few people sitting around it these days, not doing much. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, well, mm. okay, we'll definitely talk later then. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, Tabletop Lifestyle Magazine. Uh, it's written uh, primarily in a retrospective format, so rather than talking about stuff that's coming up or um uh, uh you know new games and that kind of thing it's it's, it's written in a format for hopefully you can pick up an issue from five years ago and find something that is uh applicable to you in the current time in some way so we kind of focus on creativity and community uh people that kind of thing uh how games get developed uh just looking at the, the tabletop hobby worldwide. Fantastic, Matthew. Now, it's been going for a fair old while, hasn't it? When did you start this and and why? Uh, okay, so when? This, this is a good question. Uh, around 2012, I think, off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got a, you know, a tattoo or anything of the start date? No, no, I haven't. I haven't got quite that far yet, no. Um, yeah, around, around 2012, certainly one of the first things I went to was PAX Australia in 2013. That was like maybe the second event that I went to as, as uh, media. Uh, so it would have been before that. Uh, yeah. So around 2012, we, we'll say 2012 at the moment. Uh, so we're looking at, you know, we're edging in on close to 10 years now. Uh, and why it's just, I, I kind of like magazines. Um, I used to, I used to work at a publisher, so I kind of, I grew an affinity for the medium and I kind of, an opportunity arose to, to work on this idea and uh, I, I took it and here we are today. <laughs> That's very good. I do love a magazine myself. And the important question I need to ask you, of course, is uh, have you done many Mad Magazine style fold-ins in the campaigner? And if not, why not? <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, I haven't. <laughs> Um, oh. Why not? That's a good. That's a good question as well. Uh, there's no reason I couldn't in future. Uh, Excellent. I'll, I'll add that to the list of stuff to do. No worries. <laughs> I'm kicking yeah, okay. goals for you every which way this episode. I'm very happy to see. Yeah, that. I'm glad I came. Yeah, there you go. So look, how how does this work for you, Matthew? Because it's uh, is it a quarterly publication from memory? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Every yeah. quarter. Okay. And. Like, are you planning these issues, you know, I'm just going to focus on the next one or six months, 12 months down the track. You, you say it's all done sort of from a, a retrospective point of view, but yeah, surely it's, it's a hell of a lot of work creating a magazine from, from nothing. Uh, yeah, it is a bit of work. I mean, you know, I'm kind of getting into the, yeah, you know, like I said, it's almost been 10 years. So I am kind of getting into the, the swing of things now, <laughs> starting to hit my stride, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but, but normally planning is about four issues in the process, um, in, in the planning stages. So at the moment, I'm working mostly on issue 32, which will be the next one to come out 
and then issues 33, 34, and 35. Obviously, I have started to look at what's going to be in it, that kind of thing. Um, I have to be adaptable somewhat with the content or whatever, a lot closer to when it comes out. The first, like the couple of months before it comes out will be when I start to seriously nail down what content's going to be in it. Um, I'm sure you don't have to be that adaptable. It's not like the world changes that drastically between issues these days, I'd imagine. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> as, he is, as he is about to write an article on how amazingly fast you can get your board game from China to Australia using shipping freighting right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, yeah. Funny issue. Yeah. Again, bring that up as well. Like uh, at the start, at the start of the year, I was one of the, the plans was to have like the brigade, you know, the game, the brigade about the, yep. fo- the fantasy firefighters as like one of the featured games, but you know, what with Australia being largely on fire around Christmas, uh, yeah. I decided to pivot in a different direction uh, <laughs> and not, and not release a magazine that had, you know, things on fire on the front of it. That's probably uh, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 what's the creative process that you go through? Is it, you know, because you've you've obviously got some contributors there that that help you out as well. But is it yep. primarily stuff that you personally find interesting, or are you doing your research and looking at, you know, things like Board Game Geek and, and other? board gaming uh, publications and going, oh, that sounds interesting. I want to investigate that further. I mean, you know, how's the, how's the process for it working for you? Uh, I, I, I kind of just figure out what around the hobby is interesting at that point or, or, or what you could write about that would last that would be interesting, which, which that sounds like a roundabout and not very specific way of, <laughs> of explaining <laughs> the process, but uh, it's kind of how general it is because you, you kind of have to pay attention to keep an eye on everything, not too closely, just enough that you're kind of aware of what's going on and then looking at, at kind of like what it is that maybe you want to explore a bit more in depth. Yeah, I, I guess that makes perfect sense. And I guess in parallel to, to what we do, we have to, try and make sure that we're not just talking about the latest hotness on on board game geek because every other podcast out there is talking about the same thing and we still have plenty of listeners who uh only started listening two weeks ago uh, and they've got a whole back catalog of stuff that is hopefully relevant and the games themselves we're talking about they're still around for the most part so it's great to have the ability to not just be focused on such time sensitive stuff yeah. yeah, every time we do a what we've been playing on a game that's considered like a classic, so not necessarily the hotness, we always get probably more correspondence than we do normally from people saying about how they've played it in the past, how they loved it, how they're happy that we're talking about it. So having a, a magazine that's not necessarily bringing you the, the newest straight thing straight to you probably doesn't matter because, I mean, that's really what the internet's for. So having a retrospective magazine is probably the smart way to go, I would imagine. Yeah, precisely. Well, precisely, that's basically the... The, the thinking on my part that yeah the internet delivers current news way faster than a magazine possibly could so uh yeah anything in the magazine has to be kind of deliberate decisions about what it is that we're we're uh including and how we approach uh it as a subject um it's also important as well that that, that we we talk to um uh you know the people as much as possible the people involved to if it's about a, a creator or something they've worked on or whatever, then talking to that person rather than just writing about it in a kind of general sense. Absolutely. Now we need to to talk about um, well, basically the part of the reason we've we've got you on here is we've we've, we've got you know a topic that you wanted to to chat about with us, yep. which is sort of these games in a confined space, games that don't have a large footprint. Now, can you tell us a little about the the topic itself and why you wanted to, to come on and chat with us about it. Uh, yeah, well, this is sort of, this is like a subsection of my, I don't know what you call it, my special subject, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, I suppose, like, uh, you could you could call my, my actual, the actual subject that kind of like that nobody else really thinks about that I know a bit about is playing games in hospitals, mm-hmm. um, largely because of, my partner ends up in hospital quite a bit because uh, of her health problems. Uh, yep. And just, just by virtue of that, we've, we've kind of ended up coming up with like a, a process that 
you should think about and go through in order to choose games that uh, you can play in hospital. Uh, mm -hmm. But kind of like distilling that down and kind of like taking a section of that just for this discussion uh, about playing in limited space seems like a better idea uh, because it seems more applicable to everybody at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And there's only so many times you can ask doctors and nurses to come in for a few minutes and play a game with Caverna with you on like a hospital room floor, I imagine. <laughs> Yes, well, that's uh, yeah. Whenever we have played anything in hospital, it has always been mostly it's just been, well, what's going on here? What's this? Like, <laughs> it's a lot of the time it's not stuff they've seen before. So, absolutely. So, look, Matthew, where do you want to um, kickstart this topic off? What what games have you have you got? And um, you know what you're defining as as these small confined spaces? Well, basically, uh, I think what we should discuss first is uh, the the act of playing in a small space. And then we'll yep. just, we'll go through a couple of, uh, of uh, game suggestions so people can kind of get a conceptual idea about what games, at least I and, and you guys think would fit this criteria. Um, that way, like they've got kind of like an example, um, which might help them if they've got something to refer to. Uh, so basically, when you're, when you're thinking about playing games in a small space, in my opinion, the first thing you kind of have to think about is your furniture, um, which like a lot of these people are going to be like, oh yeah, of course, like I already knew that. But a lot of the time when you just you decide to do something, uh, kind of the nuances that don't always, you know, not always at the start, at the front of your mind. Uh, yes. So uh, like the first thing you probably think about is your playing surface. Um, a lot of people are obviously using their dining room tables. Mm -hmm. uh, but but normally, like pr probably anybody who's 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 get who that game playing is a large part of what they already do, then they're going to have a, a kind of like a a space that's going to suit this kind of thing already. So yeah. if if, but if you're the person who doesn't normally if you're stuck at home and you you have people you can play with, but your place isn't normally where everybody plays, so you don't really have that that sizable kind of table. Um, then it's the space that you're going to choose to play on that you kind of need to consider. So whether it's, you know, your dining room table. Absolutely. Because, I mean, the reality is for, for us gamers in inverted commas, having that six, eight, 12 person table is just part of the deal because we've got to have a, a table that's going to be big enough to fit these mammoth big games like TI4 or what have you. Yeah. But... A lot of people don't have that. They might have a little round four-person dining table, which might do the job, or we're even talking coffee tables or something even smaller again. Yeah, it was uh, 14 people at Christmas, Garth. That's what we had. <laughs> just, just, just to let you know on my monstrosity that everyone thought, oh, this is big and childish, but they were laughing on the other side of their face, weren't they, when we were all sitting around the one table at Christmas? <laughs> yeah, well, you've only ever had two people around that now for the last few weeks, mate. So, um, yeah, let's get this corona thing done and we can play some proper games again. <laughs> 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 yes anyway yeah so in a similar in a similar vein um seating obviously mm -hmm. uh especially when you've, you've thought about what space you're going to play on then your seating is probably the next thing to think about um obviously again people have varying seating if you're using your dining table or whatever else that probably has seating that comes with it but if you're pulling something out like your coffee table or like a, a folding table or some description or whatever you don't always uh, necessarily have seating that fits that that height and that kind of thing. So you kind of have to look at what it is that you're going to be like sitting on. Uh, so because obviously like bean bags and stuff, while great for lounging around and playing, I don't know Nintendo DS or your Switch <laughs> or whatever. Not always great for board games having to get out of it and whatever else. Exactly right, and that's a, that's a really interesting point you mentioned, Matthew, because. Uh, Earlier today, I was playing Azul, but because I was very lucky enough to win at a raffle Azul Giant, it doesn't fit on a table because each individual playing area is about the size of a small table anyway. So we played this on the lounge room floor. Now, we've also this week been playing one of the adventure games, the little sort of escape room in a box style games. And we played that on the coffee table. Now, I thought that was a great idea. We just had it set up on the coffee table. But the problem is, especially with kids, is we were just all sitting on the floor and they just can't sit still. Then if they're not on a... If, if my <laughs> kids aren't on a chair, 
they're rolling around, they're up and down, they're left and right, they're all over the place, which for me gets a little bit frustrating because I'm going, you're not paying attention to anything. We should be here having this in, uh, environment, but it's purely just a, a nature of the circumstance, which is they're sitting on the floor. That's unusual. It's funny in, in, in itself. And on the flip side, us old fellas have to try and get back up once we're down. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a fine line between rolling around and I'm rolling around because something's popped out. <laughs> <laughs> Says the youngest person on the show. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah, he's probably just seen everybody rolling around the floor around him, so. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> Great. No, you're spot on, Matt. That's that's a, a crucial thing. And obviously just, you know, you're going to potentially be spending hours in this chair. So you want to make sure it's comfortable. You've, you've got the right support. Um, and yeah, it, it's an important facet of, of what it is we do because yeah, we're going to be sitting down for hours. Yeah. Now, before you actually have a few recommendations for us, Matthew, I just wanted to ask, are we talking about games that more you're playing uh, yourself that you've brought into the hospital with you, or you are playing with your, your partner as well, who I imagine is probably sitting up in a hospital bed or like waiting in the chair next to you? Oh, yeah. If it's in the, if it's in the hospital, then, yeah, this is, this is playing with another person, which, yep. uh, yeah, that's, that's certainly one of the seating considerations, like, yeah, if we're talking in the hospital environment, uh, there are way, way more um, kind of like little other tiny considerations that nobody thinks about until they've spent weeks in a hospital, uh, which you can actually uh, read issue uh, 24 of their campaigner that gives you a way more in-depth look at um, lots of the particulars about hospital, playing games in hospitals themselves. Mm -hmm. I imagine rolling dice and click clacking around is probably not ideal. Oh yeah, yeah. Rolling rolling dice that could be a problem. Small bits. Um... Accusing somebody very loudly of being Hitler, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I could. Yeah. Yes, I could imagine that would wouldn't go down too well either. Yeah. No. All right, so Matthew, so what are some games you want to throw at us that have been uh, successful for you? Uh, okay, so small space. Um, Mostly what you're, you're thinking, what you should be thinking of is components light. Um, so the, the least amount of stuff for the space you're trying to use, basically. Um, so just as kind of like not knowing what people's minimum, maximum space is. Like Blueprints, if you're familiar with the game Blueprints, that yep. works really well. Because uh, the players uh, have a small defined area that they're using. They have that little pad a little yep. shield that goes in front of it and then you just need a, a, like some minimal extra space for the dice pool and the cards and stuff uh, so that's really good you know so, so for each player you're looking at a small area for them and then a very small additional area for the general stuff that goes in the game mm -hmm. uh, that's 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 like a that's a small light game another small light game would be like king of tokyo again yep. it's like it's got one central small area that everybody's using and then basically your each player has just that their own uh player tracker thing and that's yep. that's basically like and, and again the dice and you just need like a, a place to put them in the cards not to mention it's an awesome game that can play you know a couple <laughs> of people or you can be getting you know a whole a whole team of friends around a, a relatively yeah. small place to play and it's, it's nice and social too yeah, well, that's it. It's like it's uh, it, it not much doesn't take up much space, but you can get a lot of players into it, which is helpful if you're yeah you're trying to maximise what it is that you're doing. Um, generally, any any card games uh, work really well. Um, kind of like the the while it's not a good game, the the kind of like the the uh, one to look at is Uno in regards to okay, there's just a deck, a discard pile and then whatever you're holding in your hands. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, uh, us serious gamers <laughs> sometimes don't want to be caught dead with Uno. but No, but something along those lines, like Red 7, for example, is, is, a, is a great alternative. And again, even stuff just... like love, yeah, like love Letter, Robots and Rockets, uh, even Skyward and stuff like that, Gloom, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like it's, it's anything that uses a few cards, but, but in a kind of like discreet ways. And let's that not forget fine. that Uno itself goes back to uh, Western times, doesn't it, Garth? 
Oh, absolutely. Which we'll find out later on, I think. Yes, we, we certainly will. <laughs> sorry, that's a little, that's a stupid little in-joke between us, to Matt. That we'll, Matthew, sorry, that will make sense a bit later on. Oh, okay. Absolutely. A bit of a teaser for things to come. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah. That's the way we work around here because we're professional Great. and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so have there been games that you've brought into play um, that are more than just your one-offs, like your more campaign-based or more story-driven type games? Yeah, yeah, there are there are other ones that because like they they're normally the more the heavier kind of games, so far more complicated. But you can get more complicated games that have uh, smaller footprints, or at least like more manageable footprints. Like uh, I, I, I can't even say this word now. Fury of Dracula. There you go. Yep. And Fury of Dracula works really well because you've just got the board that everybody's looking at. Um, and then the, the Dracula player can can have their own area that nobody else has to be able to access. So because they've got their own their own they're doing their own thing, so they can kind of like you know alter their space to suit what they need to do, mm-hmm. uh, which means that they don't necessarily have to take up any of the play space that everybody's trying to use. Uh, so that works really well. I was thinking on the lines of something like the Grizzled, the Armistice edition of the Grizzled, which is just essentially a deck of cards and then also something on the lines of stuffed fables. I think there's a bit of dice rolling in that, but it is just a book and characters on a book, which is not a very yeah. big open area as well. Yeah. Stuff like that would work really well as well. Yeah. Mm. It's like, it, it seems generally if it's something that has a contained central area and then very small, if it, you know if players themselves need stuff, they only need to take a small area as well. If they can hold it or it just takes like a, you know, 10 square centimeters or whatever somewhere in there then that all seems like that works really well because then you've got opportunity to move stuff around as you need to move it around alternatively the other option is something like wingspan where it can be quite it's got lots of involved stuff but it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of you can uh, do without like you don't necessarily need the bird feeder thing like you could play it without that you could play it without the thing that the cards go on you could literally just have some cards out the players have their own boards. There's no central play area. So everybody can kind of just like pack what they need to into their tiny space. That's right. And arguably some of us would say, just get rid of the whole thing. That's between me and Wingspan. You're not going to like the next issue of the campaign then. <laughs> I, I will much enjoy it, Matthew, I can tell you, because Garth happens to be wrong on quite a lot of things these days. He's, he's very big on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hmm. Uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so look, I mean, when I think of games in small spaces, confined spaces, minimal footprint, uh, because of my my job in travel, which takes a nosedive right now because everything up in is up in the air in travel except aeroplanes, um, <laughs> I think of games I can play with the people sitting to my left and right who I would hopefully know, and we've only got our little individual tray tables. And I think there is a, a large number of games that can be played with those little tray tables. And again, you, you lead to decks of cards as the, the foundations of those. Yeah. But there are lots of games that have a little footprint that can cram in a lot of game. And, and obviously one that I think about is the Tiny Epic series. The whole premise of these Tiny Epic games is that you get a, a relatively complicated or involved game in a small box and small components, which if there's turbulence, yeah, that can not be ideal. But the game itself, you can get a lot of fun out of a relatively small box and, and everyone can be involved and see everything that's going on. Yeah, that, that certainly, yeah, that would fit the criteria that we're, we're talking about. That also makes me think that stuff like uh, Railroad Inc., the, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, where you draw on the on the grid and whatever else. Basically, the only loose part of that is the dice that you you roll. It was that's dice in it. You roll dice. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you yeah, roll your dice okay. and you got to use the lines and tracks that uh, face yeah. up. So that's like that's literally just like everybody have their own pad and the dice is the only thing that's going to be the 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 random thing that could fly around <laughs> the plane or whatever you are. So that's right. Yeah. And as Garth mentioned earlier, things like your escape room in a box type games with people just solving puzzles. And then like the granddaddy of all of them with your Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, that's just people reading and talking to each other. You don't really need 
any area whatsoever. You could have chairs and no tables at all to play that. Yeah. Yeah, they would. Yeah. Like the civil vein, werewolf and stuff would work in in the same sort of thing that you don't really need a tabletop to play werewolf. So, But again, uh, they'd probably be rather annoyed that you're taking all the doctors and nurses and accusing them of being werewolves in the middle of the night. Probably wouldn't be <laughs> ideal, but um, could be a could be a good news story. That's for sure. Yeah, were, werewolf in hospital. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a front page there. What <laughs> other games have you got for us, Matt? Okay, so on, on the heavier side, the last one I've kind of got a note about here is uh, the brigade, uh, be- yep. mostly because that has a defined play area in the center, but that's got a lot of replayability because of how the tiles come out randomly. Yep. So. Uh, yeah, that, like that. That offers a lot of uh, a lot of replayability value in in a low space area. Mm. Uh, but apart from that, that's my that's my list. That's pretty good. I like that. Leon, have you got some games to add to that? Not off the top of my head. I think you've actually covered majority of them. Like I said, between those tiny epic ones and your your say words, Leon, escape room in a box type things. There is quite a lot that you can play. And as Matt Matthew said, unless you have a big space for like your own personal player aids and stuff like that. You can nearly get away with it quite a lot of things. And, you know, now's the time for people to use that, you know, ingenuity to come up with ways of playing these games in smaller spaces or in the spaces that you need to. Absolutely. So I think, you know, anything that's a, a decent card game, and if you can put it in a backpack and a handbag, that's going to be appropriate. Um, the tiny epic things for me, I think it would probably be pretty good. And, I, and I'm just looking around right now because I'm sitting next to my, my game shelf going, what games could I take if, you know, if I was single and I was going out on a date with a gamer and we had a two-person dining room table set up here and I was allowed to go and sit there? Con- consentical, surely would be <laughs> consentical might be a second or a third date option leon but I'm, I'm <laughs> i think third here. date is the traditional for consentical i think that's the way that works yeah quite possibly i think so but um i guess the main thing is yes is the game going to fit on the same playing size regardless of how you play the game because the thing is with a lot of area control games or what have you the board itself is growing and expanding and if that goes in one direction it's going to fall off the board and thinking about those um, adventure book games, um, there's the escape room ones that I've been playing. They've got a lot of cards in them. And as you explore, potentially that takes up quite a lot of space on a table. So it's about just being aware, I guess, of the footprint that the game may take up in its final form as you, you know, half an hour to two hours down the track. Yeah, precisely. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for that, uh, Matthew. That's really, it's actually really interesting because it's something that we do need to be considerate of especially in this kind of situation, but obviously something that um, that you are a bit of an expert at. So, look, we might take a little bit of a break after that one. But hang on, oh. we've got something urgent that we need to do first. Uh, uh, <laughs> Matthew, Great. Um, you, you yes. wouldn't know this earlier because you weren't patiently sitting there waiting for us to stop talking, but um, no. parsley, sage, rosemary, thyme or basil? Okay. Uh, well, I do like the sound of sage, but that's probably because... I like fantasy, so <laughs> it's, it sounds like a fantasy thing. I mean, that so. is as good as answer at as anything. Right, so we will be back after this not song, but some form of thing that I will put in the edit, and we'll be back with Matthew talking about a bit of a classic. Oh, yeah. Hello, everyone. It's Mark here, the eldest statesman of the Dice Men Cometh, just wanting to take a quick opportunity to say Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone that has been supporting us on Patreon recently. We've had a little bit of a jump in supporters and we appreciate it so much. Every cent that you give us goes into getting us to board game conventions, things like BorderCon, PAX, SN Unplugged, and even hopefully early next year, CanCon where we can report back to you on what's happening. We'll have interviews with designers and artists and publishers and gamers as well, and you'll know what you're missing out on. We appreciate your support so much. Look, if you've been on the fence thinking about whether or not to support us, I say just jump in for as little as a dollar a month. You won't even notice it, but we certainly do, because unfortunately, airfares out of this little island where we live are pretty expensive. But hey, enough of me. Let's get back to the action. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. 
Okie doke. That was whatever I put in the edit <laughs> with the Dice Men Cometh on episode 303. Proudly brought to you, as we are always, by our good friends at LFG, Looking for Gamers Australia. Get on their website, buy all the stuff, give it delivered to your front door, and enjoy all those games. Now, Matthew, you're going to tell us about a game that was somehow made in 1989. Now, I don't know how that's possible, because as far as I'm concerned, people were only two years <laughs> old at the time. Yeah, well, I wasn't. Uh... Okay, we can we can oh, mute okay. his microphone right. now. My, I'm surprised uh, you here. just don't do that yeah. from the start. I mean, <laughs> well, that's usually <laughs> why we have Mark around for. So, yeah, you are going to be talking about a game that is a little bit of what is it? Uh, a classic, I guess, in in our hobby, but it is also one that, for a lot of us, is very very sentimental. I think you call it perennial, I suppose, the perennial dungeon crawler, like uh, at least in a mm-hmm. widespread mm-hmm. commercial sense. Uh, we are, we're talking, of course, of uh, Hero Quest. Yes, yeah. from the famous board game company Milton Bradley. <laughs> in association with Games Workshop, I mind you. Yes, they, they did have a hand in some of this, at the very least. And we are all very lucky because all three of us sitting around our three microphones <laughs> yeah, <we do. laughs> have a copy. Now, if we combine these three copies and stick them up on a Facebook marketplace, we could be retired in about two hours, I think. Yeah, mine probably is missing a few things because I bought mine about a year ago from a lady on Facebook that I'm pretty sure had no idea what it was or what have you. I, don't, I didn't rip her off. Don't don't you think about the, me doing that? But she, she asked for like ten bucks or something. I was like, all right, I'll give you ten quid for it. Yep. So look, Leon, the biggest thing about Hero Quest, and Matthew, you might be aware of this as well, is is the barbarian sword intact or not? Because that seemed to be the single biggest point of weakness in this game. As I open up the box and I find my elf, and he's okay. I find my wizard. But I find my barbarian, and he's a bit impotent. Oh, he's no. lost his we'll see mine. sword. Look at that! Oh, almost straight. Look at that! That is. <laughs> oh, hello, sweetheart. Oh, no. Look at so the size of that got... guy. Wouldn't you like to get your hands on that bad boy? Look at that! Wow, I feel so inadequate sitting around <laughs> these microphones, knowing that my barbarian sword has been lost oh for years. Um, do you guys have any of yours painted? Uh, no, none of these. No. I have at least some of it painted, evidently. Look at it go. Nice. Isn't that yeah, cool? Wow. That is probably a better job that some five-year-old did back in the 90s than I could probably do now. <laughs> so well done. Uh, so here at Quest, oh, like I was saying before, it's a dungeon crawler. Um, a bit unlike kind of modern dungeon crawlers. Uh, it's not modular board or anything. It's on a square fold-out board. So you only got, you got a defined area, a defined number of rooms and corridors and stuff. Uh, but there's a thing called the quest book, which basically has a whole bunch of configurations in it, a whole bunch of maps, and a little story that goes along with the map. Uh, and then that's what people play. You put furniture out and, and monsters out and... There's one player who's a, in uh, this is called Morkar, the evil wizard player. Um, what most of most most of us mm-hmm. now know that as a dungeon master, um, or game master. And this is the thing is, and I like I, I'm pretty confident I have never completed the quest. So I've certainly played a fair amount of it in my in my day, but. I don't think I've ever sat down the table and gone from mission one through to the, the, the end missions. And I don't even know whether I was aware at the time that that's how you were meant to play it. Cause I'm looking back through the fogginess of 30 years ago and going, did, did 10 year old Garth, like, did he read the rules or did he just do what he was told and roll some dice? So, so I, I remember playing this when, when this first came out and we got it, it was me and my brother. Uh, my brother Craig. So we we played through. I'd I'd uh, be Morkar, the evil wizard, and he would, and I'd, I'd play the quests for him. So I seem to recall we went through the whole thing. Obviously, I never really got to play through it as the as the warrior because kind of like once you've played through as the evil wizard player, you know all the stuff that's going on. So uh, 
it's That's kind right. of like there's a fault in it in that like really when you when you play it and you go through the whole thing um there's like you could you could nitpick it to death there's all kinds of stuff in there that nowadays is is uh there'd be much better kind of like quality of life uh rules in it like yeah. even, even like tra- traps in this are awful oh. as well uh <laughs> i highly doubt that i have on at on quite reliable sources that everything was better back in my day that, that's the that's the catchphrase of all the old blokes i work with at my factory so i think you'll find okay boomer i think you'll find you're wrong there matthew that everything in this game must be perfect and it must oh, be yeah, the greatest no, game ever made. everything in it is perfect it's just uh sometimes things could be perfect oh, and right. also imperfect you know like that's just yeah right uh, Let's should put that on that. a t-shirt <laughs> so look, what's you, you say it's a dungeon crawl and obviously there's a fair few of us who who know the insides and out of this but you know what are what are the basic mechanics that we're talking about in this particular dungeon crawl you've already mentioned we've got yeah. essentially a dungeon master who's who's controlling the bad guys but yeah how, uh, how so does it actually mechanically work characters uh, they all have slightly different stats uh so is it basically roll to move uh again another kind of like quirky little kind of archaic uh, mechanic in there so roll to move <laughs> and then basically you've got custom dice in it that uh, are, the, are the fighting dice that have shields or skulls on them so you're rolling when you attack you're rolling these dice and uh, skulls are hits shields are defenses that kind of thing that's basically the entire mechanic of the game um, and then progressives you go through collect gold and treasure and other items and buy upgrades and stuff well not upgrades you carry like like upgraded equipment so better swords and, and armor and that kind of thing that let you roll more dice or additional dice that's right and this is the thing i i actually had to go back and watch a little video because i couldn't be bothered getting the box and reading the rules and going is it really as simple as i remember and the answer is yes every every one of the hero characters has their little hero sheet that tells you this is the the number of die you roll as combat die, and this is the die you roll for defense, and this is your movement, and you know you've you've got your little character sheets, which essentially have a, a mind and a body yeah. score that you all start with, and then you've got your little quest book and what have you. And I thought this this was you know for a for a really profitable and very successful mainstream game, it has a lot of things that we as proper gamers are now going yeah. I, I know all those mechanics and I know those systems and and that game is really quite good in yeah. introducing people it's, it's into weird, the hobby. It's weird as well because like when this came out, this game, like other games for, around that time would have been like Game of Life and Mouse Trap and and Trouble and stuff like that. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> so and and then yep. and then just suddenly this thing comes out, which is when when you kind of look at a timeline of of games, it's just. It's just a really weird thing to suddenly kind of like almost no provocation. Just this thing appears. There's just ad, like an ad for it. If you've, everybody knows the ad for HeroQuest, where it's. Yeah. Oh, the ad was, was like crazy. It was great. I'm pretty sure a physical effect where they build the lo- they built the logo out of styrofoam or whatever, and they've just blown it up. They've just exploded it. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is before digital effects. They're just like, hey, we'll just, we'll just stick firecrackers in it and blow this thing up yep <laughs> now the question is that obviously hero quest as you said it can be worth a bit of a bit of dosh this old hero quest if you if you sell a copy of it nowadays because this is a sought after kind of collector's item the question i have for you matthew is that do you have even the even more rare expansions for i hero have quest? parts of them <laughs> <laughs> now that is somebody that's been a gamer for a very long time that is the correct answer so i've got yeah parts of of uh witch lord enter the lair of the witch lord or whatever it is uh ke- yeah there's, there's witch a lord, witchy Keller's one Keller, and then there's a um, and uh against the ogre yeah. horde i think is the three that came out in australia there are actually some other ones that came out in uh the u.s um some kind of like I think oh, okay. it was like a character specific ones like barbarian's ice tomb or something like that and yeah yeah it's kind of crazy we think of expansions as a more of a modern thing to a board game but it's really not i mean even something like cosmic encounter which came out when's the original cosmic encounter is it like late 70s early 80s that had expansion after expansion after expansion i guess because when we think of games older games generally you think of those mass market blah that we're not going to speak of 
and there was obviously never expansions for those. They were just ten dollars in your local Kmart, yeah. and that's the end of that story. So I guess when you get something like this, that's a proper gamer game, then yeah, to the, have expansions back then must have been a cool thing. Did you ever pick up the kind of spiritual successor to this, which was was it Space Crusader, the forty k yeah, version yeah, Space of Crusader, Hero Quest? Yeah. Yes, I had had that as well. Yeah, the reason I mentioned that is because I had that. I didn't have Hero Quest growing up. But I'm pretty sure my parents got me for a Christmas or a birthday Space Crusaders when it came out. Keep in mind, I would have been probably five or six <laughs> at the time. And that game comes with all the miniatures on sprues and things of that nature. Now, I don't want this to sound like a woe is me story. However, when I was growing up, I had an older brother and sister who were teenagers when I was that age. So they wanted nothing to do with me except for you know, being polite to me. And both of my parents at the time were working their little butts off to try and put a roof over their head as a lot of people were back in those days. So I pretty much had me, myself and I to learn how to play this game myself. And I don't think I ever even remotely played it at all because I think I just got like, I looked at it and just went, this is the most complicated thing that the human race has ever done as a six-year-old. <laughs> Seeing all these things on sprues and this book that was more than like, there was more words than there were pictures. It blew my tiny mind. But how does that compare to the actual playing of Hero Quest, the Space Crusader? I kind of had a somewhat similar problem that I remember reading all the rules and stuff and being kind of like, because <laughs> it, it wasn't just like Hero Quest where you go into a room, if there's monsters in it, you put the monsters down. In, in Space Crusade, there was like tracker yeah. tokens that you put out, like, because you had like a scanner, so you had to put out kind of these blips out and then reveal the blips, and and there was like different sections of the board because there was four different modular parts of this board and everything else. And I think it like it component wise, it's it's similar to Hero Quest, but on a rules scale, I think it it is a bit more complicated. Uh, I don't know if it's as complicated as some modern games or not. I'd have to go back and play it and find out. I would, I would assume not. Now, in wrapping up, do you believe that Hero Quest is worth another run at the table in this day and age? Do you reckon it's worth at least for nostalgia reasons getting it out one night for a crack? At the at, at the moment, you could probably pick two or three of the quests from the book. So it's sort of like one at the start, one in the middle, one at the end, and then you kind of get the full experience of what Hero Quest offers. Because uh, they 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 do kind of okay. have yeah. an almost like modern tutorial feel to them because they'll gradually introduce elements as the game goes through. Uh, so yeah, there there is kind of like the the, the different maps do have a variety into them. So uh, kind of yeah, picking picking a and I think I think it's still going to be said. You know, when you've got a completed map with all the bits and pieces on the board, it still looks great. Yeah, you know, I think the fact that you've got all that 3D um, furniture and the 3D treasure chests, and I, I think when you've got a completed dungeon, I think it does really look good on the table. And just looking at all the components now going, yeah, I'll happily go and play that with my kids. I think we'll have a lot of fun with it. I'll be the dungeon master and they can go and, um, you know, lay the smack down on me. It's got a great table presence, yes. Absolutely. Well, there you are. That was Hero Quest, a game that launched a thousand genres <laughs> in our hobby. So we will be right back after something to talk about more things. Ugh, I'm so bored. This self-isolation is getting me down. I've even had to read every single rule book for every game that I own, even though I've got no one to play them with. And I'm possibly going to go down the mark rabbit hole of playing solo games is this what i've become <sighs> at least i'll uh, get off my ass and have a bit of a walk around at least walk to the computer i guess is there anything on the internet anymore wait a minute what's this the campaignermagazine.com you're telling me there's an australian tabletop magazine that i can look at from the comfort of my own computer or can get delivered to me via the wonders of post. The Campaigner magazine is designed right here in Australia by Matt Lee. It is currently up to issue 31, although you might want to check out issue 25 for a beautiful cover photo. 
And this magazine features everything that you could ever possibly want to know about board gaming, role playing, insider news and gossip, interviews with designers, publishers. And it's a really fascinating magazine to see what's going on in the world of tabletop gaming. So if you like the sound of that, and if you're listening to our podcast, you probably do, make sure you jump onto the campaignermagazine.com and check it all out. You can even get their back-ordered issues delivered straight to your computer or your postbox again. Now, if you are also a budding designer who's got the next great Kickstarter, the Campaigner magazine allows you to advertise in there as well. Their prices are really, really low, and the Dicemen Cometh also published uh, some advertising in there as well, which is great. So, look, jump onto the campaignermagazine.com. It'll definitely alleviate any boredom you are feeling by being stuck in home. And you're guaranteed to have hours and hours of fun. And just remember, 31 issues, but the issue 25 is my personal favourite. Back to the show. And that was something again, because we're not on the air, we're on the podcast. It's the Dice Men Cometh here with special guest Matthew Lee from The Campaigner. Not so special guest Leon, who's always, always here. Uh, And no Mark, at least, so that's a bonus. Now, Leon, about a year, maybe two years ago, you started to dip your toe into role-playing game mm. and your toe ended up being your whole body and then and some, and you bought all the things about every system. And no. now... No, this, don't. Sorry, I all bought, things I to every the, D&D thing. There you go, just Dungeons & Dragons. Fine, I have an entire fine. shelf now in my house that is just all Dungeons & Dragons stuff. The idea of moving on to another system is just... I, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> so anyway, you have been in these corona riddled times jumping online again to try and regain and retain some form of companionship during these dark and terrible times. Yes, I have. Now, I am a person that I've said for a while now that I'm a big video gamer, have been my whole life, but I'm not a multiplayer video gamer. I have no desire to be called horrible racist things by somebody across the other side of the world. Not my cup of tea and fine relaxing. So I don't really like to do a lot of things online, but in the circumstances, got to get that D&D fix. And also I want to see, you know, the faces of some of my nearest and dearest that I haven't had a chance to see the faces of in quite some time. So we decided, my group that has been going for nearly two years now in our campaign, we decided to have a crack at doing it online. Every other time Mm -hmm. we have met, either at my place or at John and Kylie, the um, the DM's place, or at the New Sydney. Ah, oh, the New Sydney. Don't you miss it? Ah, oh, pubs in general. Yeah, pubs. <sighs> anyway, let's not talk about pubs. Let's just drink more in our own houses. But <laughs> we decided, right, let's do this. Let's get it together. So we got a Discord going and we got everybody involved. Now, our D&D campaign is the DM John, as I said, and six other party members because John's been doing this for a while, so he's happy to have a larger group. So we got that going, and also we thought what a smart idea would do is that we invite an eighth person onto the stream, and that was just another laptop that John used specifically to put out the maps that we were using for the areas that we were walking around in. Not necessarily battle maps that we were moving minis around on, but like at the time we were invading, not invading, we were sneaking into a... Minotaur City in the Underdark. So, as you do, you know, (laughs) so to represent our times. So, we had the big overview of the map and he kind of pointed out, you're here, there's patrols going this way, what do you want to do and how do you kind of go from there? And it worked out really well. So, I mainly just wanted to quickly mention the fact that it worked out really well. We had a great time. Would it be better around the pub, you know, face-to-face having a pint? Absolutely, of course. We're going to do that as soon as possible. But... Anybody that was considering don't really want to do it until, you know, we can get back to face to face. I would suggest doing it just to mainly check in with your friends. And it's not quite the same, but if you have a good group, you will have fun in doing it anyway. Sounds perfectly good to me. And you can even try. I think you can get um, the free copy of Fiasco somewhere. You can just read the rule set and Fiasco would be a really good GM-less role-play game to be able to play over, you know, something like a Discord or a Zoom or a Google Hangouts or whatever the hell um, video and uh, audio systems you want to use. Yeah, we have talked about doing that with our Thursday night group as well as, and the the basic rules for D&D are also online. And one of our friends, um, Joel, recently asked about um, getting one of his children into D&D. And the first thing we said was, 
download the rules online, watch any YouTube video in which there are a plethora of telling you how to play as well as there's live streams playing their own games and you can go from there. So it is a game that if you have somebody with a bit of creativity, it's unlimited. You just need to have a couple of dice and even still then there's automatic dice rolling programs you can get very, very simple. Just ask your Google Home or your Alexa or what have you and uh, they'll do the dice rolling for you. Exactly. Do you have any RPG games on the go, Matthew, at all? Not uh, published ones, anyway. <laughs> There's, I do. I, one of my friends is working on a on an RPG, uh, so I help him out with that. Fantastic. Well, well, look, we are getting towards the pointy end of the show, so we have got a couple of bits of information that we have to pass on. So I'm going to start with the one that is for the next little while couple of weeks, couple of months uh, in the current uh, corona situation, we will probably be switching to fortnightly episodes just in terms of being able to create content that is new and interesting. Not so easy to do when we are all stuck in our own homes and with, yes, the ability to play games um, remotely, it is just not so easy to be playing games that are either new or more likely that we haven't already talked about. So for the next little while, we will be going to, to more than likely a fortnightly uh, system for the Dice Men Cometh. Anything to add to that, Leon? Yes, well, basically the decision was made because, as you said, it's much harder to get a bit of content at the moment. And as much as we'd quite like to prattle on, have you noticed, we don't like to ever do the idea of what, what do we have? Not very much. Let's just see if we can stretch it out because that's not yep. good. And generally you can tell when shows do that and that's just dishonest and i'd like to think the one thing we always have been um with the the fans of the show and with ourselves is honest to the content that we put out which is why we quite like keeping it to an hour we like keeping it short and sweet giving the people what they want so that's what we want to do so we're going to have various different guests as well maybe try and get some other interviews but we're not promising anything we'll see how we go but yeah just fortnightly just for the simple fact that I'm still working a lot. Garth's doing a lot of you know, online work and stuff as well. So it just means a sensible way to keep the show running. We don't want to postpone it. We don't want to say, right, we're just stopping for two months. We want to get the content out, but just to make sure we can deliver the quality, the champagne podcasting that the Dice Men are known for. I can't even say that with a straight face. So, so what you're saying <laughs> is basically if everybody's jonesing for their Dice Man fix, they've got a prime opportunity to go back and listen to past episodes. Yeah, there's 302 of them, not counting this episode. So I'm pretty sure that there will be enough content yeah, there, there for people to find. And Indeed. I bet there's some stuff there that people have forgotten because I know I've forgotten half of it. Indeed. Now, more excitingly, we have got to announce the winner for our first Corona Isolation competition where yes. we were giving away a copy of Western Legends. Yes, the first so, of many competitions we're going to be running. We're going to have a competition on this show pretty much constantly for the next couple of months. Wow. Oh, yeah. So, look, we were overwhelmed with the number of entries that we got for this. So yes. a big shout-out to all of the listeners who send us in uh, a photo of them playing an isolation game and most of them with, uh, with a Western theme in, in keeping with the game that we're giving away. So, look, a couple of honourable mentions before we get to the winner. I really wanted to say a big um, thank you to Justin Hulls. Um, he's seen a photo of a small person, presumably a, a daughter or a, a relative, riding a horse made of board games, essentially. It was a pretty amazing uh, little setup. So, Justin, I just want to say thank you for that. And we'll probably be posting that up on our, our socials at some stage. I also wanted to say a big up to uh, Fabio, whether or not that is his real name, who did a really cool photo of playing some random game that I have never seen or heard of before. Um, if I put it up on the screen here, guys, you might be able to, to see it. I'm not sure if anyone knows what, what game it is that he's playing. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you're such Anyone? a... Oh, we, we can swear because we're not on the radio anymore. You're such a twat, guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is, of course, a game called Ticket to Ride. Yeah, so look, uh, it was Ticket to Ride, um, but a really clever little photo where he himself is playing all five colours so he has cloned himself around the board gaming table, which in isolation is something that we, we could probably all be doing at this stage. 
while wearing a a Star Wars Stormtrooper shirt, which with the cloning, is, <laughs> I see what he did there. He's one of those yes. clever folk. He is, because there is also a book on his table that says how to clone tips and tricks as well. So yes. it was a pretty amazing photo. But look, there can be only one winner. The quality, sorry, of the entries that we got in, if those two sadly didn't win, because we can only have one copy to give away. I'd love to be able to give away four or five of them. But um, yeah. Well, hopefully they enter the next competition that might be around in a couple of seconds time. So look, the winner in uh, our first Western Legends competition is a big up to Matt Gleason and family. Um, they put in a huge amount of effort and didn't send us one photo, but sent us five in pure sepia Western tones. It was like you were living in a slightly more G-rated episode of Deadwood. Um, they were excellent photos. They had... A game you mentioned earlier, Matthew. They had you know being played around the poker table nice. um, while they were having some some whiskey distilled for them. So a big congratulations to Matt Gleason and family. We will be sending a copy of that to you, I believe, tomorrow. It's going out tomorrow. By the time this podcast has come up, I would have probably just handed the box to the delivery man. There we go. So that's week one done. Now, if you thought being in the wild, wild west was cool, you ain't seen nothing yet because we are taking you to merry old England in the times where that naughty Prince John was trying to steal all your gold and not leave you anything to feed your family. But there was a hero there, Leon, and that hero was Robin Hood and his merry men. There it is right there. Robin Hood and his Merry Men. Sadly, not based off uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is the funniest film ever made. Uh, and there'll be no <laughs> argument on that. But this is a game, yes, Robin Hood and the Merry Men that we've heard quite a lot of good things about. And I'm going to be a good boy and not take it out of the shrink and play it myself. So this is a good one that's going to be going out to some lucky punter very, very soon. Absolutely. So for those of you who don't know, it's a semi-cooperative, highly competitive board game set, obviously, in the folklore of Robin Hood. Uh, it's a Euro-style game as well. So you'll be playing um, the roles of famous outlaws, you know, obviously, Robin Hood, Little John, Will Scarlet, and Jane Fortune. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, unfortunately, not being able to play this, but getting it into the hands of a, a very lucky listener. So when are we going to end this competition, Leon? And what do people have to do to have a chance to win? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Garth. We are going to be ending the competition at lunchtime on May the 1st, uh, Melbourne time, whatever the, on earth that is. What is that time called? <laughs> Melbourne time? Australian Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, That's the one. Like that. See? It's good to have grown-ups around from time to time, mainly for time situation type things so yes lunchtime on may the 1st we we're going to be ending it because as i said we've got a few of these to do and for the next couple of months we're going to be looking forward to all the entries so the way you can enter with this one you wouldn't believe it that the way you could enter with the western legend competition was to send us a photo of something you're doing in isolation board game wise extra points if it was western legends uh, themed well guess what we're doing it again because we're very unoriginal people. So <laughs> I want you to send us a board gaming photo. If you don't have anything Robin Hood related, that's fine. It just means you have to put in a little bit of extra effort into the kind of craziness you put into that photo. But what we're really looking for is Robin Hood styled themed photos and board gaming as well that you could send to us. And that will put you in the running and then we will go from there. And it sounds like, Leon, that there will be bonus points if you present yourself in tights. I'm not saying yes or no to that for legal reasons, but yes, very much so. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, so we need to wrap this up for another week. Nay, another fortnight for the moment. Remember that, people. But before we say goodbye to everybody and wish them all the safety and we say goodbye to our lovely guest, Matthew, um, something important that I need to ask from my uh, oh, good. Uh -oh. book of funsies. Uh, I'll start with Matthew. Um, would you rather swing on a star or carry a moonbeam home in a jar? Uh, I'd rather take the moonbeam home in a jar. Thank you. See, see, swinging on a star would involve me leaving the house. Taking the moonbeam oh. home would involve me going home. That is a very clear so, answer. Garth, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. I still like swinging on a star. I think that sounds pretty cool. As long as I get to sit on one of the sides and not on the pointy bit. Yeah, you do have to take that into consideration, the whole pointy yeah. bit thing. Um. 
originally I straight away thought, well, take the moonbeam home in a jar. You're going to have that there forever. Whereas the swing on a star, you know, it's over after a few minutes. Life, nice life experience, you're done. But then I don't know if I'd feel bad about having a moonbeam in a jar when it should be up there with all its moonbeamy friends. I don't know. Well, isn't it, if it's a moonbeam, yeah. it's on the way to Earth anyway. So That is true, but... Just because it's on its way to Earth doesn't mean it wants to spend the rest of its years in my basement. Because let's okay, face it, enough. I'm the only one who wants to spend that much time down there. My wife doesn't either. So, you know. <laughs> and on that bombshell, we are going to wrap up this particular episode. It has been episode 303 of The Dice Men Cometh with Garth and Leon and Matthew, not Mark. So, look, Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time out of your lounge room to join us that's been really appreciated and where can people go should they be interested in the campaigner magazine uh if you want to know anything about the campaigner you can go to thecampaignermagazine.com so there you can subscribe we can bypass issues you can find all the social media stuff all kinds of all kinds of things online reviews everything's there if you just go to that website and those budding kickstarter designers they could advertise with you i dare say yes yeah. that is also an option <laughs> one of those carriage. issues one of those issues contains a rather excellent interview with the three strapping young lads called the Dice Men Cometh. Yes, that is true. <laughs> excellent. So there you go. We do have to wrap this one up. Thanks again to our sponsor, LFG, during these times. Please make sure that you go and check out their store and buy some more games from them. We have been the Dice Men Cometh plus special guest, Matthew, and we will be back next fortnight. Bye. Send us all the photos. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their flagship events, LFG Sydney and LFG Essen Unplugged, as well as their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.